Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Stanley Nang, the dynamic president and COO of Philippine Airlines. A Harvard Business School alumnus, Stanley's aviation journey is both impressive and extensive. With over 20 years at PAL, he soared from airport ground staff to the airline's top echelons. His roles have spanned from chief pilot to senior vice president of airline operations. Stanley's expertise isn't just confined to the boardroom. He's a certified pilot with training from the Airbus Training Center and PAL Aviation School, fluent in English, Filipino, and proficient in Mandarin, Cantonese, and Fukien. Stanley's leadership is grounded in deep industry knowledge, strategic planning, and a commitment to excellence in aviation. I've asked him to join us here today to share his story and insights into success. So Stanley, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Daryl. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's an honor and a pleasure. And it uh, took a bit of scheduling, but we managed to get this to happen. Now, I want to ask, you've had such a long career in aviation and obviously climbing the ranks to now be president and COO. How did you even get started? Like, were your, or did your parents like run companies as a kid? Were they involved in, in aviation? Is this like a family business? Are they running airlines in, in China and Hong Kong or what? <laughs> No, my parents uh, were businessmen, so we're, we're totally not in aviation business at all. So when I, when I was in school, uh, I used to play a lot of video games as well with my friends, classmates. Not not to brag about it, but uh, usually I, I I always win the the, the games that we, <laughs> we play. It's actually my friend who encouraged me to be a pilot. They told me, hey, your hand-eye coordination is so good. Why don't you try to be a pilot so that's where I got the idea of trying to become a pilot so that's my where my journey really started got it. but yeah but of course my family was quite conservative conservative Chinese businessman so they're not used to this kind of profession for their children but after maybe around uh, a year and a half of uh, convincing them that uh, I really wanted to fly so eventually, they allowed me to join the Flying School of Philippine Airlines. Got it. That's excellent. So you say the Philippine Airlines. Were you grew up in the Philippines or you grew up? No, I, I was born and raised in the Philippines already. Yes. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. what businesses did your parents obviously sound had businesses here? Yes, they used to uh, do some groceries Yeah, back in the 70s, 80s. Got it. And all the way up to maybe 90s. And then my father shifted to doing garments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Export and uh, local. Yes. Manufacturing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Okay. So you've got a, you've got kind of family ties to, it sounds like serious business to a certain extent, right? Yep. You can yeah. say that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So how did this go? So you decided to be a pilot. You, it's not as common as it used to be getting into the ground Floor and working your way up. And that's it's really a hero's journey, not to just blow hot air up your butt, but it really is. Not a lot of people do that anymore. Not a lot of people, you don't see a lot of presidents coming in, working, like I said, at the bottom and their way up. Was that sort of the plan from the beginning or you were just, no? No, it just happened actually. So I came in as a ground staff at the airport for Philippine Airlines back in 2003. That was 20 years ago. So after which I joined the flying school in 2004. But my initial goal was just to be a pilot because right. I always believed that 
aside from being cool walking at the airport, aside from that, I always believe that because being a pilot can make aspirations and other people, the reunions of other people, families happen, and even businesses transaction happen. So yeah. I believe that's a very noble profession to be able to connect people. So that's just my goal. I never actually thought about being the president of the company. Got it. You wanted to connect people and help businesses do connect around the world. So yeah. ha- has that stayed with you? How, you've been, over 20 years, your view and your knowledge as you learn more about the business, the demands, mm-hmm. the restrictions, has that still the view of things changed a little bit or? My values remain the same. It's always about helping people connect with each other. It remained the same. It's always been like that. But of course, all over the period of being being the chief pilot and being the head of operations, I learned so many other things. And uh, I also did some further studies to understand the business even better from a business perspective, because I've been into operations for a majority of my career in here in Philippine Airlines. But Having a business perspective and encompassing everything like finance and even marketing strategy, so that really helped shape shape me uh, right. of who am I today. Yeah. And what were some of the greatest challenges that you've had to face? Obviously, everything sounds like sunshine and rainbows. You started yes. at the bottom, you worked your way to the top, but mm. clearly, I'm sure you had setbacks, obstacles, maybe even yeah, I, yeah. What were some of the biggest challenges? I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, what were some of the biggest challenges? Of course, operations is uh, so demanding, as we all know that, especially in the airline, a, a lot of things can happen every day. Uh, the weather can be an uncontrollable factor that uh, we have to deal with. Airport infrastructure and even technology, those were some of the challenges that we've been facing ever since I started. But uh, I would say the major challenges that we really have today, of course, obvious one thing obvious is about supply chain issues today after the pandemic majority of the OEMs the manufacturers or the the spare parts weren't able to to deliver as as fast as as desired you mean in terms of maintaining the airplanes and that maintaining the airplanes so it's yes so we have to ground some airplanes because we still don't have engines for yeah Uh, engines Spoke with Stefan, I forget his last name, but he's the VP of finance at Left Technique. Mm, ah, Lufthansa. Yes, Technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Left, left, what's it? What's, forgive me, I should say the name properly. Left Lufthansa. Lufthansa. Lufthansa Technique. Yeah, yes, that's it. Lufthansa Technique. There, yeah. Mm-hmm. VP of finance. So he had mentioned the same thing that they were having issues with certain, and they've actually had to change and get different mechanics for servicing different types of planes now as a result yeah. of this. Yeah, okay. So the one thing that I haven't mentioned, the biggest challenge really is people, (laughs) managing people. That's really number one, because Philippine Airlines, we can consider about 6,000 people. It's quite a big organization for everybody to be aligned with the vision and the direction of the company. It takes a lot of energy and as well time investment and people to be able to drive the company in one direction. So, yeah. Now, could you give a breakdown so people understand? You have 6,000 staff. What percentage, just ballpark, it's fine. What percentage are in what role? Like maintenance versus air crew versus marketing and sales versus admin? Can you give a rough ballpark uh, so, estimate? So for pilots, around 1,000. And for cabin crew, around 
I would say 2,500, 2,500. And the rest would be admin staff and airport staff, some organic people in sales and also in marketing, commercial side. But yeah. So majority, I would still say it's the flight crew. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 What role, because Philippine Airlines, you have the, you're like the national airline. So does that eliminate the need for marketing and sales or does that make it change? You went to, again, yeah. yeah, I would say in terms of branding, because I'm, you're absolutely correct because it, the name itself, it's Philippine Airlines. Mm-hmm. So you don't actually have to, because everybody knows the airline already, right. but it's marketing in a different way on how to show the people how different or what value are we providing for the customer. It's more of telling a story of how we're doing things differently to be able to provide more value uh, for the customers. It's more of that rather than, or introducing new routes, something like that. New yeah. product, new planes. It's more of that when it comes mm-hmm. to marketing. But the branding itself, uh, everybody in the Philippines knows about the, the airline, of course. Right. So mm-hmm. you mentioned that managing people is the number one challenge. And I, I can agree, at least from the different coaching groups I've run or been in, that staff mm-hmm. is often a big topic. What are some of the biggest maybe mistakes you see either people in your own organization or other organizations making when it comes to helping manage people? So my leadership style is always about transparency and engagement. So I'm very open to to accepting mistakes that everybody makes mistakes. It will happen as long as we learn something from it. It's fine. However, sometimes the culture of the company is more of trying to be defensive. When they did something wrong, they try to hide it. And for me, it's not going to be healthy because you can only hide so much. Eventually, it will explode. So, And uh, it's not going to be good. So I always encourage people to speak up, whatever they notice, what the, their observation, they have um, the freedom to express themselves and um, be humble enough to accept that uh, people make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you yeah. shape the culture of an organization with so many people? How do you try to have everybody adhere to the same ethos and the values and the mission. Yeah. So aside from constantly, during every town hall or every other meetings, I will always express my, what do you say? that I always encourage them to be sincere about what they say, what they do, because end of the day, it's about the sincerity of with each other, with our colleagues. We are sincere. We sincerely care about them. We sincerely care about our customers. Just like family, our own family, we try to treat them as as uh, as good as possible. Try to make their life as comfortable as possible, their journey. But uh, it's not about saying, it's not about marketing, but it's about uh, really sincerely care about each other. And uh, yeah, even beyond work, like outside work, we can still help each other in terms of, of uh, their needs. That I always express my helping hand to each one of them, but. But it's so difficult also to to drive that alone. So right. I really need a team of uh, like-minded people to be able to just multiply yourself more and more to be able to spread yeah, the culture faster. And being fair and consistent, that's always the thing that uh, I believe in because you have to treat uh, each and every case the same way. 
it, it doesn't matter who you're talking to, who made a mistake, but you have to deal with every situation, like how you will deal it, like the same way all the time. Right. So it sounds like we talked a little bit about kind of values and ethos. What specific skills or behaviors do you believe are important for your staff to improve or develop? It's open-mindedness to, to be able to cope with the changes. So it's, I would say, agility. Ah, agility. Ah. Ag- yeah, adaptability, agility to, to, to the changing environment. That's something yeah. I think is valuable. Hmm. Now, that's maybe something we can talk about because oh, obviously with the pandemic, every it touched everyone's life. You talk about connecting people. I know for us, we were stuck in Vietnam and it went from a $300 ticket that I think mm. cost six grand to bring us home from the Philippines. And then we still had to pay for quarantine on top of that. Can you speak? Yeah. I don't know what you can or can't say, but can you speak to that a little bit in terms of obviously you're trying to run a for-profit corporation, but you have yeah. to deal with all these different countries, their immigration policies, like the the geopolitical situation of the day. Can you speak to that a little bit? Also, during the pandemic, it was really quite difficult because each country had their own uh, restrictions and rules. But it's really constantly updating ourselves with the changing requirements of each country that will really help our customers because during the pandemic, we had some issues as well, bringing somebody in or yeah. bringing somebody out. And then eventually we found out that they needed additional requirements or quarantine restrictions. So that definitely made their journey more complicated and stressful. So that's why the team has to always be a little bit proactive, always communicate. I think communication is really one of the key, key factors as well for, for whatever thing that we want to achieve so by constantly communicating with other stakeholders plus our customers and aligning everything will actually help a lot in terms of the regulations and you asked about the the prices of course it went up significantly because of the limit it's uh, still the law of uh, supply and demand because the Uh demand is so high but the supply we just we can only serve so much because during the pandemic, uh, we're on, only allowed like certain number of passengers right, to transport right. certain number of passengers, something like that. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Now, can you speak to, because I know that we've heard, at least in my life, I feel like in the news, you always hear about airlines, some going bankrupt, some getting bailouts by the mm. government. Historically, I think there was something with PAL and the IMF. Mm. Can you just speak a little bit? What is the function of an airline? What I mean is, a Tahoe vendor, they go out, sell Tahoe, people want it or they don't. Supply and demand takes effect. Spa, right? Trike driver, taxi driver, a lot of these things, it's almost like a very much a free market system. And then mm-hmm. you hear about things like, I've heard a joke, like, how do you become a millionaire? How do you become a millionaire in the mm-hmm. air industry? You start off as a billionaire and then you buy an airline. So I just heard jokes. It just sounds like airlines, like it's a tough business, right? And you hear yes. about airlines that don't survive. What is unique about, what makes this unique in that respect? And I feel like maybe I'm just ignorant of things that maybe other people do know, but I've always wondered that. Airlines get bailouts from the government sometimes. Uh, You hear about them often being at risk of going bankrupt or things like, what's going on, Stanley? What is happening with this industry? What's, yeah. Uh, Definitely, you're 100% right. Uh, It's a complicated business with so many variables. 
it's like a flying hotel. So we have ah. the revenue, we have a revenue management system, and but this one, the infrastructure is the aircraft. So the aircraft also need maintenance. It's just like running also a, uh, uh, you're maintaining your cars like at home. So it's a mix mixture of everything. It's a flying hotel, but at the same time you have resources that uh, you need to maintain, and you have people that's gonna fly those planes, <laughs> your resources. So it definitely is a very complicated business. And as you mentioned, rightfully also, it's about the people, the skilled workers, let's say the pilots. Right. So world, worldwide, the, uh, right now, simply the world do not have enough pilots uh, for, for, the, uh, for all the airlines. So definitely a, a lot of uh, people also, let's say the pilots or even the cabin crew, some other airlines are actively hiring from yep. the Philippines because as Philippines, yep. the demographic is quite, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a good, good demographic with the average of less than 26 years old. So right. definitely a lot of people, resources available in the Philippines. But one thing that I want to mention also is about the problem here right now. It's we have to accelerate the training for these people to be able to provide for other countries as well because it's end of the day it's good for the economy of the philippines because of all, all the ofws oh, yeah yeah however brain drain we should also consider because we cannot send all the best people out we still have to retain a lot of skilled worker here in the philippines yeah mm-hmm. that's a really good point i've been talking because people have said daryl like why are you sitting up in the philippines i my personal opinion is i think in 10 20 years this is you guys still have a positive birth rate where the rest of the world doesn't uh, like <laughs> yeah. you talked about uh, all these countries are setting up outsourcing centers here because people are i feel like generally speaking people have a good work work ethic here they're hungry to grow and expand and develop their skills so all these countries are giving their best training programs to the filipinos because either the people in their country, and this is my personal opinion, but I feel like most Americans don't want to work as hard as I see some Filipinos working. And I think the trike driver that sleeps in his trike because he's got four kids at home and he just needs to be able to, like that sort of grit and like commitment, you just don't see in a lot of places. And so we're getting world-class training here. The infrastructure is growing, still have a positive birth rate. I did all these OFWs are sending resources and training and back home. I think the Philippines mm-hmm. is a really good place in terms of the future. So I agree with mm. a lot of what you're saying there. It sounds, so where do you think things are going to be in five, 10, 15 years? We've got some disruptive technology that's coming out. How is that impacting airlines? We also have geopolitical situations mm. happening. Uh, my personal opinion is it seems like there's an unelected group who have an agenda they're trying to push on the world. Mm. What do you, where do you see things? What trends are you watching for the next five, 10, 15 years? And what do you think people should pay attention to? Also, oh, technology definitely is uh, important that uh, everybody should embrace. And uh, with the limited infrastructure or limited space that, especially here in the Philippines, innovation is really the way to go. So innovation that can drive efficiency. Let's right. say, for example, just this morning, I was imagining an airport without much peop- much check-in agents anymore. Right, I think right. the robots can do yeah. it. The, like Singapore. Yeah. This was their, their airline. They, you just, yes. It's like personless. It's all fully automated. Correct. So we can already see some signs that uh, where we are going today. And definitely, I, I believe that's really the future for the at least the next five to 10 years. We'll be having a 
lesser people airport. So right. it's going to be more efficient. And because this morning I was discussing with someone about having a people less airport, sometimes it might be more efficient because let's say for documentation check, people might make mistake or intentionally let somebody go, but the computer can actually okay. verify if the passport are valid, yeah. if the visa yeah. are valid. So yeah. I think, yeah, in I, terms of technology, yeah. There's a game, I just, like a month ago, I, I always, I'm, I'm always trying to check like merging. Anyways, I'm working on an app for what I'm doing. Spoiler alert for my audience, but I'm working on an app and I've been checking out other apps and I saw this also, I don't play games, I, but I, I check them out from time to time. This one called Papers, Please. And you're basically mm. supposed to be an immigration officer checking the papers and then they, they have to get a certificate. And then it's like a top download game. I think they're mm. making a, a movie out of it or something. I saw some trailer, but it was really surprising to me when I was playing it, how complicated, because as the political situation changes, now screen people from this country more don't screen people from this country now they need this paper to enter now they have to get this certificate before they can enter now like x now we're banning contraband now this is contraband now it's every day every week was a new requirement based on geopolitical situations and then people Mm -hmm. trying to bribe their way in and it was just a very fascinating game for me to play because i'd never thought of it from the immigration officer's point of view to your point I could see where the automation would really help with that. How do you mm. feel about the biometric stuff? I saw that when I was in Japan, I noticed that they had robots, like a giant Roomba, like a, just a giant robot sweeping, mopping mm. the floor. But then I also noticed that all Japanese foreign nationals had to do face scan, fingerprint scan. I'm surprised they didn't have to pee and give blood. Like I I'm, I feel like it's just getting that far. Is that something we're going to see more and more of? or? I believe we will. We will see more of those. Definitely. Yeah. Robots. But of course, behind every robot, there should be still human behind the... But you don't need that much people anymore because you can just intervene whenever there's a, a malfunction or... Yeah, but very minimal. It, it And it, it will be very efficient moving forward, I believe. And yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Now, what about the biometrics? And I think oh, the you're going to have a digital passport. So, yeah, so biometrics is it's one thing that uh, I think the Philippine airports, they're going to do very soon. So there's a movement right now. So in fact, this morning we had a meeting with someone to to head that direction, to, to have biometrics as well as use, just use a machine to scan a passport and to verify. And I, I think that's the best way to go. But we have to have a one standard ID in the Philippines, aside from the passport. But an ID will definitely help. That That's uh, the government ID. Mm-hmm. So government ID. Yes. Because right now we have a driver's license, but unfortunately not everybody actually has driver's license. Yeah, I, can, I know. We just had a, a sales, one of my clients, they're setting up a sales team here and they wanted them to have a LinkedIn account because they're an online mm-hmm. company and their LinkedIn accounts got shut down and they wanted them to send photos of their passport or their driver's license to validate their ID. Mm-hmm. And again, most mm. people, like you mentioned, are under 26. And the girls uh, were like, we don't have driver's licenses and we've never left the Philippines. That's very interesting. So you think more biometrics is coming. What yes. about these digital passports and that? Do you think that's the thing that's happening as well? Is that? Actually, it can be done because as we can see, the world is more focused on sustainability issues, right? Going heavily on sustainability projects, using less papers. 
Uh, all those things, I think, will help drive this initiative moving forward, even with the e-passport, as long as tech-wise, we'll be able to to figure out some ways of the data privacy issue. And yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that. Oh, you said e-passport. I wasn't sure what you said, but data privacy and the e-passport. Ah, so mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. You... Data security. Data security and all those things, yeah. How are these sustainability agendas impacting airlines? Obviously, that's huge. I think that they've restricted certain mm-hmm. flights in Europe. Um, yeah. And I, and some people are, there's criticism because they're saying now people have to drive some of those trips, which if everybody's driving a car, that's greater emissions than if they just all took a flight. What What are your thoughts? So definitely this, in Europe, it's quite advanced already in terms of sustainability. They're they are way, way ahead of uh, uh, any any parts of the world. But in the Philippines and Asia, it's starting right now. So how is it impacting? I would say at, the, at this moment, the biggest, I would say, factor would be the sustainable aviation fuel because they're encouraging airlines to use sustainable aviation fuel. However, uh, the supply simply isn't here yet. So that's that actually is driving the cost really high. It's if you use a regular fuel compared to a sustainable aviation fuel, it's around five to six times more expensive by using the sustainable aviation fuel today, simply because of not enough supply at the moment. But right. uh, yeah, we have to produce more and then I think it will be more available to everybody. And mm-hmm. what about international currencies? Obviously, you're an international business, four exchanges yeah. daily. That obviously has an impact because I guess you you have to do business around the world. Can you speak to that a little bit, like in terms of? So in terms of the currency, it's fluctuating. But for the countries that we have operations, most of the time, we don't convert them. So it's just paper loss and gain. So because we use those currencies for to, to pay for, let's say, rental in Japan or in U.S., you use those currency to to also pay for your rentals, pay for pay your employees. So for airlines, it's not a huge impact in terms of the currency. But right. if we are going to trade, then then definitely it's going to be a big impact. But we're not into trading at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. And I, I hope you don't mind me asking mm. these industry questions. No, I, what would okay. your advice be to someone that's starting out or maybe struggling in the business world? Obviously, like you said, it's it's a very complicated industry that you're in. You have to, it's a multifaceted mm-hmm. thing. What would you be advice to young entrepreneurs or business leaders? Oh, just for me, the most important thing is to first identify the issues that that's going to help the people. Because if you're providing value, then your business will really prosper. It, 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 don't think about the profit yet. For me, this is just for me. Always think about the value that you'll be able to create. How are you going to impact lives and how you're going to help people have a better life or in, in whatever way. So with that in mind, just continue believing in what, what your vision is. However, also be agile, like I mentioned a while ago, agile enough to pivot when the time is already. When you realize nothing's working, then also know when to cut loss. But initially, just find a way to solve a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I don't know mm-hmm. if I told you or not, but I spent a considerable amount of money and hired 10 research assistants to help me go through all the academic literature on business success. Mm-hmm. Back mm-hmm. when, during the pandemic, everybody was arguing about the science of this and the science of that. 
And we uncovered eight critical success factors. And mm -hmm. they are, and again, we looked at studies out of Saudi Arabia, Thailand, Indonesia, Canada, America, all over. And the eight factors were self-efficacy, market intelligence, strategic planning, marketing strategy, sales strategy and skills, money management, business operations, and business intelligence. And they're all so relatively self-explanatory. Business operations is everything from cybersecurity to your hiring process, your legal compliance, tax, right, prep. And business intelligence are the feedback loops, the dashboards on everything from how the market is engaging with your staff to how staff are per performing, their productivity levels, all that. And I really believe that the, the core of all of it, of course, is the, the market intelligence and the strategic planning that kind of work in tandem. You have to know what the market's ha what's happening in the market with the people that are spending the money on the yeah. changes, regulations, the things that are coming down the pipeline, and then adapt strategically to still provide excellence. They, they say that Markets are ultimately unknown and unknowable because if I asked you how many people wanted to buy an airline ticket to the Bahamas today, you might be able to look at indicators, leading and lagging indicators, but ultimately right. you wouldn't know. It's no, you yes. can't measure it and it's constantly fluctuating. So ultimately it's unknown and unknowable, but everyone can acknowledge and recognize excellence. So by yes. pursuing excellence, exactly, that's mm -hmm. what leads you through the fog. Do you agree with that? Or I, I totally you... agree with you. Because like the one that you mentioned from Manila to Bahamas, something like that, or even some other places, like maybe historical data cannot predict the future because you're going to do something differently to make it successful. So I always believe in that. So if you stay status quo and then you're going to tell me that it's never going to work because we don't have enough people uh, right. to, to fly from Manila to Bahamas. But in reality, if you can design or let's say promote it well and yeah. stimulate and it might be successful, yeah. but we have to try. We'll never know unless right. we try. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. What do you mm -hmm. feel are some of the habits that helped you on your path to success? Climbing the corporate ladder, leading a company, keeping it above water. So of course, hard hard work is is one one good value that we all should have, and the persistent like you you want something to happen and just be relentlessly just do it because end of the day, what you want to happen will not always be easy, but you have to stick with it, and then eventually, just it it definitely is problem solving. It's finding from different perspective. Sometimes you can go straight. But sometimes you really have to navigate around and eventually arrive to your solution. It's not always a straight line, but end of the day, we have to look for solutions to make it happen. So it's that kind of open-mindedness of uh, there There will always be a solution no matter what. So I, I believe that kind of mindset always helped me solve a lot of issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you explain for the audience that don't understand, what does it mean to be instrument rated? Oh, for a pilot? Right. What does it mean to be it, instrument rated? So instrument rated, this visual, it means that you're inside the cloud, you cannot see anything, then you can still navigate through that. Because v VMC, what we call the visual flights. So it's basically, you can see, you can just use the pilot pilotage technique. So you use landmarks to, to identify where you want to go. But in terms of instrument rated, it's more of using instruments a compass or navigational, navigational, what do you call that? Instruments to, to help you navigate um, and arrive your destination. Yes. 
what are some of the things that you would consider either as skills or even things to look at if someone were trying to run their business as if they were an instrument rated pilot? Oh, okay. I would say maybe instrument, I would say instrument inside the aircraft. It's like the technology or the tools that you have to help. Well, you yeah, I'm trying to, trying to ask if you were to create a, a, a certification program of some sort to say you're an <laughs> instrument rated business owner, what are the dashboards that they need to watch? What are the metrics that they need to be aware of? What do they have to constantly have the fingers of the pulse of? So instrument rated business, I would say you have to be aware of where you are. First of all, that's the most your important benchmarks. thing. Your benchmark, your starting point. And where do you plan to go? But of course, like any other navigate, uh, method of navigation, so instrument, it's basically inside clouds and you don't know when you're going to see sun sunlight right. because end of the day it's like navigating in uh, during nighttime you right. don't see anything but you just have to believe in your tools and believe that you're i would say you're, you're true north uh, right. that's your vision so you have to know where the true north is and just continue with that direction and eventually you will see light at the end of the horizon i think yeah I would explain it like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay, okay. So then I guess as a business owner, you need to know your benchmarks. You said your starting point. You need to know where you want to go, your destination, your true north. And then it sounds like you have to find a way to measure those. Yes. And look at those constantly. Mm, and of course, uh, inside the clouds, there will be turbulence. There, there, there will always be unexpected things that might happen. But we just have to always observe the radar and... It's exactly like that. So if you have the radar, you have the tools to help you navigate through that. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So maybe like, how do you collect feedback in terms of market? Do you get certain types of reports from the marketing oh, and sales yes. department to know how they're doing? Customer satisfaction? Are these like weekly, quarterly? How often do you get those feedback loops? Yeah. So of course, sales reports, they are important. But my number one metrics is always customer satisfaction because I believe that's the one that's driving the sales because you can have many marketing campaigns and whatever you want to do, you can do it. But end of the day, it's the actual customer experience that can help your business to have a repeat, repeat business with these people. Creating that connection and going beyond what we're doing today will definitely... That's why I always tell the team during let's say normal circumstances, it's so hard to differentiate yourselves. Let's say everything's normal, the flight is on time, every airline's on time, but during disruptions, let's say there will be cancellation, there will be storm. It's how well we take good care of our passengers that will make the difference. And this passenger will always remember during difficult times, we treated them differently. We treated them better than any other airlines will treat them. So, I love that. Yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. I really do. I wrote down customer satisfaction is number one, the customer experience, creating connection, but during disruptions is where your skills shine. And I think that's really true. I think that's so pivotal. Some people, they're saying the pioneers get the arrows, but the settlers get the land. And a lot of people, they want to have a business where there's no competitors, but really you want to be you want to be at a busy food market and have your stall be the best out of all the options, right? You, and that's and sometimes it might be tough to differentiate yourself, 
but I love that you, your emphasis, two things that just stood out to me is one is customer satisfaction is the only metric that really matters as long as you're profitable, not maybe I'm, I don't yeah. want to know if I'm putting words in your mouth, but also that you almost welcome problems that are shared by everyone else, because that is your opportunity to stand exactly. out and prove that you're the best. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that mindset. Yeah. Stanley, I want to be respectful for your time. I know we're coming up on the hour. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? Mm. I don't know. What, whatever you think. What else do you want to know? I, I, I'm happy to share some more. If you have some more questions, I'm okay. Yeah. Well, it. maybe we could talk about what do you think holds a lot of companies back? A lot of people, again, okay. yeah. What okay. do you think prevents? Okay. So this is one thing that uh, every company has to be really careful about. Because as we can see, the more successful you are, the more risk averse you are. Because right. you will think that you're actually doing a good job already. You're doing a great job. So why change things when everything's doing okay? But in reality, it will not last. You have to constantly challenge yourself and break the status quo. Just because if you're not going to do it, your competitors are going to do it. So why let your competitors destroy you? And you can mm. actually destroy your own business model by doing something, uh, thinking of a different way of doing things. So that can definitely help you move on to the uh, future. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. That's actually, we talked about the different success factors. When we looked at money management, one of the things that was success in money management was investing first in having high quality products and services, but also R&D spending. Obviously, you want to try to be debt-free. You want to run a lean operation because servicing that debt can crush your ability, right, to fuel these other things. Mm -hmm. But investing in assets and sales growth, which could be patents, it could be equipment, it could be buying up in like mergers and acquisitions, but it's investing in assets and sales growth, high quality products and services and R&D spending. And then, of course, capacity utilization, which is just a fancy word which means getting everything you can from what you've got, from your resources, your employees, your financial management, labor productivity, labor intensity, all that stuff. So I think that's really great key advice. I think that we've seen that before. Um, newspapers versus the blog, I think was a great yes. example. Newspapers got, became disconnected with the market. They forgot what problem they were solving. But mm. newspaper subscriptions used to be considered rivers of gold. And then they got decimated when blogs came out. Blockbuster versus Netflix is another example I love. Where Blockbuster was a $6 billion per year company. They could have hired any talent. They could have Mm. paid and developed any technology. They could have bought Netflix, which Netflix, I think, started in the UK as like like Domino's Pizza of movie rental. You get a a catalog, you'd order it. Mm -hmm. And Blockbuster was so disconnected from the problem they solved. If you're a construction worker or a hairdresser or a waitress or whatever, and you've been standing all day you want to go home and relax. You don't want to go drive to a store, stand in front of a wall, standing longer, then pay to rent the thing, take it home, and then pay extra fees because you're busy. You're so busy you can't drop it off. It was a little bit parasitic in a certain to a certain respect, and maybe it worked for a while, but then Netflix came out of nowhere and it ultimately ran the bankrupt. So mm. uh, I think that's a really good message. Stanley, if people want to learn more, if they want to get in touch or reach out, what are some of the best ways for them to get in, in contact? Oh, email. It's okay. Email. Sure. If you want to yeah. share it, go ahead. Okay. Or LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn as well. But yeah, but email can, we can use email to communicate. So that's stanleynow95 
No, I'll just use some of my private email, okay? Stanleynang95 at gmail.com. And that's S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-N-G. 95. S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-N-G 95 at gmail.com. You can also look him up on LinkedIn. Again, Stanley Nang, which is spelled N-G. I got the right guy if he's with Philippine Airlines. Stanley, thank you so much for your time, for sharing. You have thousands of direct reports that you've got an industry to stay on top of and work to do. Thank you for coming and sharing with my audience and I. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you.